0: We begin a new series today in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've entitled it From Jesus' Question in Matthew 6 Is Not Life More? Finding God's Purpose. This is a thought provoking book. Look at verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 1, and we read Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I think it's fair to ask the question, what kind of book is this? And why did God include it in the Bible, if that's the introduction to it? Look at verse 3. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Questions like this are strewn throughout the book. They are there, listen, They are there because God wants us to ask those questions and find his answers. It's a difficult journey, maybe, but one that leads to greater purpose and joy. It's interesting that the book of Ecclesiastes was one of the scrolls publicly read at Jewish festivals. In particular, it was read on the third day of the Feast of Tabernacles, known as a Feast of Joy says something about the way they perceived the book. In fact, the root word for joy appears some 17 times in the chapters of Ecclesiastes. The book was written by Solomon later in his life. He's never named, but verse 1 says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Verse 12 says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The word preacher means one who assembles and addresses a, a congregation. And the title Ecclesiastes comes from the Greek equivalent of preacher and means speaker before an assembly. Well, this fall, we are going to continue assembling as the congregation, and God has much to teach us through this inspired preacher. Why was this book written? What is God's purpose for it? I'm going to give two, uh, well, three primary reasons in this first point. Number one, to reveal the futility of all earthly pursuits, verses two and three. And I'm defining an earthly pursuit the way I believe the, the book Ecclesiastes is, as striving for pleasure or gain, in an earthly way, for example, if your foremost goal in life is to achieve and succeed in your business and in your work for wealth and prestige that it brings your way, this book is going to trouble you and challenge you in some ways, because it's not life more. Its answer is yes. Look at verse 2. Vanity, let me stop and say the word vanity, means literally vapor, breath. So it is used to mean nothingness. It's used some 40 times in the book, five times in this verse. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? Well, Solomon has come to the conclusion that all earthly pursuits are vanity, seemingly meaningless, empty of lasting value. Verse 3 is saying that when all is done, there's nothing of lasting value achieved. Now, understand this was not written by someone who didn't know what he was talking about. Solomon had done it all. More than anyone, he had seen it all and achieved it all. From 1 Kings chapter 10, 23, uh, 24, and 27, it says, King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And all the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. In verse 27 of that chapter, the king made silver as common As stones in Jerusalem. And he made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowland. In chapter 11 of 1 Kings, verse 3, it says he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. He writes, not to tell us how we can be successful too but to tell us that success in purely earthly pursuits is empty, five times empty in verse 2. Empty of lasting meaning is his point. Indeed, earthly pursuits for power, pleasure, possessions, and our obsession with them is what keeps us often from knowing the eternal God in all his glory and as believers, hindering us. The object of this book, I believe, is to drive the reader to God, to loosen and release the grip that things of the world have on us. If there is lasting purpose in life, we must find it in and from the creator of life. I believe there's an evangelistic goal I need to be right with God. We'll see that clearly in chapter 12, even this morning. And a discipleship discipleship goal. I need to please God with my life. Why was the book written? Number one, to reveal the futility of all earthly pursuits. Secondly, to recognize the source of all that we enjoy in life. There's much to enjoy. There's a distinction, though, between earthly pursuits and earthly blessing. Earthly blessings are gifts of God to enjoy, but they are not to become our reason for living. God's loving kindness is new every morning, we're told in Lamentations chapter 3. Today, that might include good health, but tomorrow that might mean grace to endure poor health. But his loving kindness is new every morning. And so we're thankful for blessings, but we don't let good health or any other blessing become our reason for living. We let God be our reason for living. The book will continue to press us to that conclusion. Why was the book written? Thirdly, to remember our ultimate accountability to God. Ultimately, we must answer to God for what we have done with our lives. And this book exhorts us to fear God, reverence him, that we might be faithful, committed. To fear him is to understand who he is. To fear him is to be awed by his presence and his audience of our lives. This book teaches us that God will bring every, uh, every person and every work into judgment. Ecclesiastes 12 verses 13 and 14. In a recent sermon I asked who likes to look to, to the back of the, the book to find out the end of the plot. A lot of you do you raise your hands. Let's turn now and see that if you would to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13. because Solomon clearly gives us his conclusion. I think it's good to have it in our hearts as we go through the chapters of this great book. The conclusion, he writes, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything hidden, which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. This book applies to you. Just the word every in these two verses would should convince you of that. You recognize the name. Many of you know, Webster wrote a famous dictionary still used. He said that his life was controlled by the belief that he was accountable to God. That's a good testimony. Hopefully he found peace in Christ. I don't know his full story, but... He lived that way, or wanted to. As believers in Jesus Christ, we thank God that he took on, Jesus took on himself the punishment we deserve for our sins. Because when we read Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, there, you know, we know that we won't stand innocent before God. But we are still accountable to God for what we do with the new life he's given us in Christ. And so we care. We care about the coming judgment seat. We care about wanting to live a life that honors the God who created us, created this world. Abundant life full of joy is promised to believers. But we won't experience that if we we are in a mad pursuit of earthly gain. And listen, in a wealthy Western culture, worldwide, that's where we are. This is an easy thing to get ensnared in, okay? Uh, a pursuit of earthly gain. And this pursuit is what verse 2 calls vanity, emptiness. The phrase, all is vanity, is used seven times in the book. The phrase, grasping for the wind, similar thought, is used seven times. The phrase, under the sun, is used 26 times, and means that the message of this book applies to everything under the sun. The question, what profit, is used three times. And the fundamental question of the book is this, is there lasting purpose in life? And I would say this, if your eyes, your thoughts, your desires are on things under the sun earthly power, earthly pleasure, earthly possessions, then the answer is no. There is no lasting purpose in life. And if we seek satisfaction merely in the things of the world, we will give an account for it. That's what Solomon is saying. No, there is no purpose in the purely the pursuit of purely earthly things, and you will give account for that. Chapter 1, as we read through it now, points out five reasons earthly pursuits are empty. Striving for earthly pleasure or gain leads to emptiness. Number one, earthly pursuits are temporary. Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. You know, our time on earth is temporary. We know that. We know that every time we go to a funeral. Uh, We know that um, by the aches and pains we wake up as life goes on. We know that by tragic accidents. Our time on earth is temporary, and thus our earthly pursuits are temporary. And so if your life is just given to earthly pursuits, well, there's such a limit to that. It's an empty goal in life. Make the most of your time but in a way that is different than simply pursuing earthly gain. Secondly, earthly pursuits do not satisfy for long. Look at verse 5 and following. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its, on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where rivers flow, they there they flow again. As I read that, I'm thinking there, there's some good in this we should recognize. Solomon is seeing just the cycle and, and the meaningless of, of things, but... We're glad that water goes out to the sea, evaporates, rains, and and that's water we can drink and so forth. So we see goodness in in God's design. But Solomon is is seeing in these cycles, all things are wearisome. All this activity with no end in sight. That's what he's using it as an illustration of. He says, man is not able to tell it, verse 8. Fully understand it is what he means. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing the eye wants to see more the ear wants to hear more there's no sense of fulfillment no sense of completion life is like an empty treadmill needing satisfaction getting some satisfaction but needing more satisfaction and the cycle goes on thirdly earthly pursuits are nothing new They're temporary, they don't satisfy for long, and they are nothing new. Verses 9 and 10. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. So there will be new inventions. That's not what we should read here. Yes, uh, uh, space flight in new ways has taken place in our in our lifetime now. New inventions, yes. Filling the same felt needs, that's his point, yes. People have done it before in other ways. It wasn't the answer to joy or fulfillments. Think of fads that come along, fashions that come along and are recycled. Things that people wait in line for. Maybe one of you have, I'm not condemning you or judging you but in a couple years time there'll be a new product that takes the place of that old there are a lot of reasons not a lot of things that drive that but his point is something else will take the place something else will meet the same felt need there's nothing really new under the sun fourthly earthly pursuits are, are not remembered like we think they will be look at verse 11 There's no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. And Solomon sees this as emptiness. If recognition from others and what that gives to you is is your fulfillment, well, that's very temporary and very fleeting, like the vapor. A great example of that in our day is social media fame. It comes and it goes. It is so shortly lived. It is much like the vapor. People want it, and they want it again. Uh, but just like possessions, it, it might be fulfilling, but it is a short-lived fulfillment. One of the pursuits of Solomon was earthly wisdom. And we're thankful for that because of book of Proverbs that God inspired and this book as well the Song of Solomon as well he became the wisest man who ever lived but look at what he says in verses 12 and 13 he's essentially saying earthly wisdom cannot correct sin it's not an end-all so as I read these verses I want you to think of columnists speakers authors professors leaders he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. That's not a bad thing to pursue. And I want you to, to hear more about it in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, Herman, Heman, Kakal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke three thousand proverbs, and his songs were one thousand and five. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. But look at his conclusion in the second part of verse 13. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with all of this wisdom. In other words, life on earth, under the curse, has difficulty, has grief. And the more I know, the more I see that. I've seen all the works, verse 14, which have been done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. So conclusion in the sermon, we cannot grasp true purpose in mere earthly pursuits. Is not life more? And the answer is yes. Look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. The effects of sin are not cured by what man can do. The crooked is not straightened. Verse 16, I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Folly would be living for pleasure. I realize that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. With this knowledge, with this wisdom, with these experiences, come the realization for Solomon that knowledge cannot cure, experience cannot cure, wisdom cannot cure, cure, uh, pleasure cannot cure or take away the pain of the world caused by sin. So what are the implications of chapter 1? Well, there's a lesson we don't want to miss here. That apart from the lifelong pursuit of one above the Son, the eternal Lord God, life will not have any lasting meaning. Solomon was one who tried everything and experienced anything that he wanted to experience in his day. And that's his conclusion. There is no lasting meaning in life under the sun. And so there must be a pursuit above the sun. The eternal Lord God must be our quest. And I think this book is in the Bible to deliver you and me from sinfully settling for earthly wisdom and earthly pursuits in search of earthly comfort and happiness. We can be thankful for good gifts. We can be thankful for good food, the home we live in pay from our work and so forth that can make life more comfortable but we will not find true purpose in life simply in those good gifts of God we must look to him give thanks to him pursue his will God's will God's glory is the only meaningful pursuit and isn't that what we're pointed to in his conclusion when all has been heard Fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So obviously, here and now in my lifetime is not all there is, because spoken of is a judgment to come. True meaning, true purpose has that in view and is schooled by that truth. And so I say we are on earth to bring glory to God according to what he has revealed. Ecclesiastes 12 speaks of his commandments. He has given commandments. Now many suppress this truth. Romans 1 teaches us of that. Many pursue earthly wisdom, finding their own truth that fits their appetite for earthly pleasure. We see that all over. Fits their appetite for earthly power or earthly possessions. And thus we have the world's religions. And thus we have ideologies for governing power designed by those who want to have the power often. And thus we have the rhetoric of abortion rights and safe sex and LGBTQ, etc., etc. These are empty, sinful pursuits for power, possessions, and pleasure. These are efforts to find meaning and purpose under the sun, apart from God who has revealed himself in the Bible and through Jesus. And God commands us through this book to look to him for meaning and purpose. He's not against power. He's not against possessions. He's not against pleasure. He wants you to see such in relation to him. You know, the key event in history that we should always remember is the resurrection of Christ, because that points us to the truth of Christianity, points us to Jesus, certainly, and to Christianity. And that is where we must find our path moving for fulfillment. Now, Satan will distract you, toward the things that are under the sun. But listen, Jesus said of him, and I believe Jesus rose from the dead, and so I'm going to put weight on his words in John 10.10. They are truth. He says, The thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Ecclesiastes is a book that points you to abundant life, away from earthly pursuits in and of themselves, to abundant life. Jesus said in John prayed in John seventeen, verse three, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So ultimately, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes through the lens of all of God's Word, we say Ecclesiastes is a Bible is a book in the Bible, and it's in the Bible to lead us to Jesus Christ. Is look at verse ten. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new? And I say one day, yes, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where Christ reigns visibly. So I think verse 10 points us to that time when, yes, things will be made new. After the accountability of judgment to God, and a new heaven and a new earth are formed where righteousness dwells. Look at verse 15. I think we're pointed to Christ here as well. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. No, not on our own. Man needs a Savior because of our crooked hearts. And God has given us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. In much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Yes, to know more even to read more news stories in our day, or to listen to them. To know more is to see more of the corruption of sin. And for the believer heart causes the prayer, Come, Lord Jesus, because of the grief, the pain. Come, Lord Jesus. Tonight we're going to look at Paul's testimony of seeing the vanity of his life as a Pharisee what he had pursued so fervently, and then realized was empty, and him finding true value in knowing and seeking the will of Christ. And so we will continue to to uh, apply this to our lives this evening. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you for this book in the Bible. Help me to be faithful to the text, be faithful to the context, uh, both of what how you were teaching Solomon and then how we are to see this as ones who know Christ. Father, may it be a, a time of leaving behind things that ought to be left behind and pursuing things that honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that you would penetrate the hearts of each person, help them to begin evaluating What is merely an earthly pursuit and what is is a pursuit that can bring glory and honor to you? Help us to feel the weight of the judgment to come. If we are believers, thanking you that what we celebrate in a few minutes is what covered our sin for eternity. Thank you. But feeling the weight of wanting to live for something more, wanting to live for your glory. I pray that you would teach us that in our time together studying this book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.